Today, I want to share Jesus' teaching about judgment. Because judgment of God means there is no more time. And the last Sunday of the year, I think it's an optimal time to reflect on God's judgment because we don't have any more Sundays left. So this is a perfect time for us to think about the coming judgment of God for all of us. And for that passage, we're going to read responsibly Luke chapter 19, 11 to 27, responsibly. So brothers, you read an even number of verses, and the sisters follow and responsibly. My, I'm kind of a, a sick, so my, I'm going to let the brothers do the, all the re, you know, reading. So brothers, here you go. One, two, three. While they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem, and the people thought the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. So he called ten of his servants and gave them ten minas. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. He was made king, however, and returned home. Then he sent for the servant to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with. Well done, my good servant, his master replied, because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter. Take charge of ten cities. His master answered, you take charge of five more cities. I was afraid of you. Because you are a hard man, you take out what you did not put in and reap what you did not sow. Why then didn't you put my money on deposit so that when I came back, I could have collected it with interest? Sir, they said, he already has ten. Let's read together. But those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. Jesus frequently taught about judgment, judgment of God. Some of you noticed that Today's a parable of a mina, or some translation pound, is similar to parable of talent in Matthew 25. Our Lord told this uh, two different uh, occasions and gave a two different variation of the uh, same parable. Luke chapter 19, Jesus actually gave on his way to Jerusalem two weeks before Holy Week. And uh, Matthew 25 records that Jesus actually gave the parable of a talent on Tuesday of a Holy Week. One thing clear is that Jesus 
did not want us to be unaware, unaware of God's judgment. Jesus, our Lord, wants to prepare us for God's judgment. It is so poignant that to notice here, observe that while Jesus was facing the most unjust judgment of an evil man, in a few days, Jesus was actually preparing his disciples and us for the true judgment of God. Why? Jesus wants us to stand at the end of a life journey before God's judgment, not as a clueless, fearful defendant, but a confident and faithful disciples. Amen? So before I get to the main thrust of this parable, let me point out some minor differences between these two parables. Parable of Mina. The Mina is a much smaller unit of money. Mina is about three months uh, wages of a day laborer, whereas a talent is a, uh, is a 20 year salary. So unit is, this one is much smaller. And Luke's parable has, a, has a, the king has a 10 servant, whereas a Matthew has only three. And also Luke's parable, king gave all three of them same amount of money, 10 minas. Whereas Matthew, king gave a different amount. Now, a more important uh, contextual difference is this. Today's story begins in this way. While they're listening to this, Jesus went to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem and people thought the kingdom of God was coming to appear at once. Jesus' followers, they were expecting immediate reign of Jesus in Jerusalem when they get to Jerusalem. And Jesus wanted them to know his actual redemptive time plan. Jesus said, actually, I'm going to go away. My full reign will begin when I return. And while I'm gone, you, I will going to empower you, I will endow you, and you will bear the fruit for me. That's why this parable was given. So in a way, there is a double parable. Double parable is given. One is about the king, somebody who went away and then appointed as a king and came back and established the kingship. And then another parable in the meantime, that's what did the servants, who ten servants did. By the way, the king going away for, uh, to receive a kingship from a greater or more powerful king is a very common practice. It actually happened at Jesus' time. Archelaus, the a son of a Herod the Great, he went to Rome to be appointed the king of Israel, but the Caesar kind of said, okay, there are other brothers, and so why don't you be just a king of Judea, the southern Israel? And also in this story, we find that uh, some of his subjects, they didn't want him to be a king. So verse 14 said that his subject hated him and sent a delegation after him, said that we don't want this man to be our king. So can you see there's a political infight? So this nobleman went to the whatever greater king to be king over his area. And the people, some of the people in his area, they sent another diplomatic delegation said, 
please don't appoint that, that, that person to be a king. And then the king, uh, the nobleman, became appointed as a king and came back. And uh, now he is uh, establishing his kingdom. And the first thing he did was uh, calling ten servants and asked them, what have you done with all the gifts and endowment that I have given to you? Now, in this story, I want to focus on three things. It's all start with an R, for those of you who take the notes. One is the return of the king and judgment. Number two is a rebuked servant. And number three is a rewarded servant. So return of the king. The, or the background story is a king is a coming back. So this king is coming back and establishes a kingship. That means the lordship of Jesus Christ. Jesus is a king. That means there is no king without kingdom. He has a kingdom. And this comes back to reign. And judgment of God means God is our king. And one day we all stand before God to live in his kingdom. Sometimes we think that we just live a life. But do you, you know, we don't just live a Christian life or our life. Do you know as a Christian we live in the kingdom of Christ? And that means everything I have belongs to Jesus. Everything that I, you know, I own and I'm very good at, you know, I'm, you know, I'm talent, money, resources, even time, health, everything, it came from God. And one day I have to give account of that life. Romans 14 said, on that day everybody will give account of their life to God with their own mouth. You know, when we stand before God, who have, who is uh, this uh, penetrating gaze upon every soul? Bible says we are all going to talk to God, confess God what we have done in life. It's like an automatic light detector kind of thing. God, we just confess everything because God is a light and nothing can be hidden from him. So let's move. I want to see very clearly the return of king actually ensued judgment. And the last verse of today was scary. The king said, those who oppose my reign, bring them in and then kill them in front of me. Wow. Where is the God of love here? That's how some of us will think. You know, judgment is always scary. Judgment is a mixed emotion. I have to say, judgment is a good news and bad news. Good news to those who support the king and fought for the king, work for the king. Judgment of God is a good news. It's a happy news. We long for the day. But those who oppose the king, this is a bad news. In democratic system, we don't execute people with a different political uh, opinions. But if, when new, new president comes, I hope we, we have soon. <laughs> uh, usually all the high, you know, government, high government officials, they resign, they replace. So, how's, there, is a, there, is a, there is a seriousness and there is a fear about God's judgment. Let's not 
uh, water down there. God's judgment is a fearful thing. Do you all know that one day you will stand before judgment of God? Just like the last Sunday of this year came to us, you, you and me, whether we want it or not, we are on the last Sunday of the year, right? Just like that, one day we all die and stand before God. Do you recognize the fact that you and I will stand before judgment? Do you really recognize that one day you will die? You know, seven years ago, I had a heart failure. I was at ICU at uh, UT Southwestern for seven days. Initially, they thought it was uh, some kind of heart blockage, but they found that, you know, I do stationary bike every day. So, you know, I, anyway. So they found that, uh, oh, you know, everything is nothing blocked. So they said it was a heart infection, myocarditis. And they tried to find, uh, you know, infection, source of infection. They took it even a biopsy and sent it to Mayo Clinic. They couldn't find it. And then so UT Southwestern brought, brought this a team of a advanced heart failure, I mean, advanced heart failure team. There was nothing advanced about the team except the name because they didn't find the cause of an infection. And then while I was in there, you know what? I found that dying can happen so easily because my heart rate went down to 40. And then below 40, when it goes down below 35, you begin to see Jesus. <laughs> and uh, I never thought I would die that easily. But I thought, that is so easy. Dying is not, you know, dying is, dying is sometimes comes so natural. It's like eating or going to a restaurant. It just happened. But as much as a death is natural, do you know, we will all stand before God's judgment. That's a fact. Now, Jesus wants us to prepare ourselves for God's judgment. Not just toward the, at the end, nobody can calculate when the end comes, but every day through this story. So let me move on to the second point, the rebuked servant, the one who was judged. This rebuke servant, what was his problem? The king came and he said, he told the king what? I was a, uh, sir, here is your mina. I kept it, I laid it away in piece of clothes. I was afraid of you because of your hard man. You take out what you did not put it, put it in and reap what you did not sow. Matthew text is the same thing. The servant was, servant with one talent was afraid of his master and he, in that case, buried that talent on the, in ground. So what was his sin? What was his mistake? His fault was not he did something bad or wild and wasteful. Actually, he returned the you know, money back to the king, right? Right? For that, just you know, doing nothing with the money that given, that was his fault, his guilt. Hundred years after Luke wrote this gospel, about AD 160, 
Second century Christians, some of them didn't get this parable of Jesus. So during the second century, there are a lot of non-canonical books that are written with their own project of improving the biblical story, such as the Gospel of Thomas and Gospel of Barnabas and Gospel of Pontius Pilate. Did you know Pontius Pilate? Or Gospel? And Gospel of Nazarene. In the Gospel of Nazarene, when it comes to in this parable of Luke and Mark 25, they say this, they added this. When third, third, third servant is confronted by the master, they added a line, the servant was one who, quote, squandered money on harlots and the flute players. Flute players, nothing against the flute players, but I guess that's how they had a wild party then. <laughs> And the, the writer of the Gospel of Nazareth, basically, you know, this is what they're saying. You know, our Lord's parable is to blend the way it is. Let's strengthen it. Make the third worker really guilty so that we can justify him being thrown into the place where he, he gnashes the teeth. Because they thought, this Guy didn't lose the money, didn't waste the money. He gave back the money. What's wrong with him? He, you know, so they tried to make him more guilty. You know, whenever we try to improve God's word, we usually mess up more. And that's a proven case. That totally you know, destroyed the real meaning of uh, real truth about judgment in this case. So let me say very clearly, what was the mistake of this rebuked servant? This unfaithful rebuked servant committed so-called sin of omission. Sin of omission. What is the sin of omission? Sin of omission is not doing what is right. You know, there are two kinds of sin. Sin of commission and sin of omission. Sin of commission is doing what is bad, what is forbidden. Sin of, that's a commission. Sin of omission is not doing what is right and good and recommended. Oftentimes we think sin only as a, in terms of a commission or bad things. You know what, that's a sin. That's easy to recognize. But the real, real sin, the Christian or anyone is in relationship, the, you know, the very important relationship is always sin of a commission. I don't repent in my relationship with Jamie that because I'm a drunkard or a gambler or a cheater, woman, you know, woman. I, I don't do those kind of sin of bad sin of. I don't commit the sin of commission. That doesn't mean I can tell Jamie that Jamie, you got the cool husband here. I don't say that because that's not how I, you know, my, you know, I'm defined. Actually, things that Jamie confronts me is that how come you didn't clean up after you eat? How come garbage is still here? How come you didn't call the handyman to fix that you promised a week ago? No, all the sin of omission. Let me be very clear. This rebuke servant, he was judged not because he did something bad, but simply because he did nothing. 
he did nothing. And later, what was his judgment? Even one, he, one talent he has, the king said, give to the one who has more. Ten. So, one principle we can learn from here is that whatever God-given gifts, resources you give, either you use it or you lose it. You don't use it, everything that God gave you for his glory and for the help of other people, guess what? You're going to lose one now, I mean, you're going to eventually lose it because it didn't come from you. It belongs to God who created everything out of nothing. Use it or lose it. You know, it's a very common life principle. Whatever we don't use, eventually we, we lose it, right? Believe it or not, back in college, I was a swimmer. My chest was much wide, and my waist was pretty thin. <laughs> now, where, what happened? I didn't swim. Last, you know, 20 years, I didn't swim. So my body was now the reverse. <laughs> use it, lose it. Muscle we don't use, we lose. Prayer, I'm so glad that uh, Suman mentioned the prayer. Prayer is like muscle. More you use it, more you grow. And let me tell you, house church is a great place to build up your muscle for prayer. People who struggle about praying is because you just pray for you and your family. When you have other people in your life to pray for, that's how prayer muscle grows. Because now your life is compounded by other people's joy and suffering. And you really care about them. That's the, that's, that's the blessing of a house church. And so we pray for one another. And then in the process, we become spiritual. We build the spiritual muscles of our prayers. Now let me move on quickly to the, the rewarded servant. It's very important. Verse 17, the king said, Well done, my good servant, this master replied. Because you have been trustworthy in a small matter, take charge of a ten cities. So what kind of reward was it given? Literally, more work. <laughs> yeah, more work. Oh, you have done this project very well. Now, let me give you a bigger project now. You know? That's not probably exactly what you had in mind in your reward. You know, Jesus' rewards was now, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in a few things. Now you get to the Hawaii. You know, those kind of uh, rewards you, you get when you go to Tupperware Tupper party. But not in the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, guess what? When you serve God well, God will put you in the greater service. That is God's reward. And some of you said, how can there be a reward? More work is a reward? Yes. That's the reward. You know, we have uh, this uh, sweet idea about retirement and the real. So constantly in commercial, we have a projection is a retirement. Means you have a financial independence and you can go wherever you want. Freedom, freedom, just freedom. For, you go and you eat whatever you want and you just live, you play golf all day, and then you go to the beach all day, you whatever. That's the, you know. Once I saw in the 60 minutes, 
report on the uh, this a very wealthy retire uh, uh, community of uh, wealthy retired physicians in South Carolina. I forgot the famous golf place nearby. Pebble Not a Pebble Beach. Okay, June is from South Carolina, <laughs> so I, I think. And uh, you know these are the people who's who and their life is boring. They're bored to death, and one day, one of them organized community clinic nearby city for the poor neighbors. And they do volunteer work. They said that that's the best thing ever happened to them. So you don't work for money, you work for just to help the people. They don't have to work, but they want to work now. This is a principle of a life. You know, if you get a, decide that to use it or lose it, another point that I want you to get from this passage is this. This, is, this. this parable is about the expectation parable. In this parable, the king expected his servants to trade the minas, 10 minas, and then make some profit, right? So king has expectations. And then this uh, uh, rebuke servant, he didn't like the king's expectation. He felt it's a burdensome. He said, you are a hard man. Actually, the Greek word for hard man is asteros. And then from which we got the English word austere. You know, hard, you know austere man, you know, austere man, harsh man. But you are asked, every high school athlete or college athlete who is you know, uh, uh, training in the summer, what is uh, their dream? They are, well, we have a Nicole, football player here. They are working hard in the summer, training, so that coach will notice them. So when coach notice them, what do the coach do? You work more, you play more. And then when you get to play, what's your goal? Just to end the season quickly? No. Goal is a playoff. And when you go to playoff, you want your team to play the last one. And you want to get the most you know, record in there. What is a, you know, your Dallas Cow Cowboy fans? I'm not a Cowboy fan, so I can. I sympathize with you. <laughs> Just another year of a hopes and you know, crush the hopes. Eh, you have to accept it. You know, they're not great. <laughs> I knew even last week that uh, they're not going to make it. And then, you know, look, every season, begin with the great hope. You know, cowboy. But, you know, if you, if you review Cowboys, you know, player, they all say, we want to play one more game, one more game. They're all praying. I, I bet the Eagles lose today, and they win today's game so that they will make to the playoff, whatever, wild card. What about our work? When you go to college, major engineering, what, what do you want to do? So then later, when you become electrical engineer, you want to work more as an electrical engineer. You know, when I went to seminary, especially second degree, master of theology at Princeton, you know what I was doing? I want the professors to notice me so that they will invite me, admit me into the PhD program. To do what? To write more. To do more work. You know what is my dream? Well, let me show you. 
Maybe I'll just, I told my children, and now I'll share with you. By somehow God's grace and miracle, if you ever become a multi-billionaire, there's one thing you can do for your father. It's not that uh, you send me to the fancy you know, cruise or you know, Orient Express. No. You know what? If you become a multimillionaire by miracle of God, please donate $2 million my seminary that I, I designate and uh, create the chair professorship that I can teach. <laughs> you know why? Actually, the name is not after me. It's named after my pastor, who is the greatest pastor that I know, and uh, not many people know he's a great theologian. Because I don't want to be a full-time faculty. That's not what I want. I want to live. The reason I got a PhD is that I want to make a bridge between the church and academia. And it seems like uh, in America, there's a huge divide about you know, Christian scholars and professional theologians and then pastoral ministry and practitioner. They need to learn about each other and we come to the middle and actually my goal getting PhD is that so that some of our church members who are called to the ministry, I can mentor them, I can guide them because when I was going through the theological education, other than my pastor, I didn't have a good academic theological spiritual director or mentor. So I know how important that is. And now that I experience both academia and, and church, I think I can make a contribution. I might not roll, I, I have not written a great bestseller, whatever academic books, but I know enough to really help prepare the future seminary, seminary and future pastors to what to prepare for the church and their ministries. So what am I, what is my reward, my kind of a lottery ticket? More work. Because you know what? True joy of a life is a serving someone you love dearly. Serving somebody who loved you so much and you want to repay that person. By the way, Jesus is God. He got everything. There's nothing I can give to him. Nothing, you know, his glory, God's glory is perfect. No one can add or subtract God's glory. Then how in the world that I can glorify God? Bible said, I have many children. Poor children, struggling children, needy children. You serve those in need, you serve me. Yes, that's so true. I have three children. Anybody help my children? I feel forever indebted. So serving God's people, that is my reward. I want to be a pastor for a long time. Whether church pays or not, whether I have a title or not, serving God, sharing God's word is the greatest reward. I'm sorry, today, we, this morning, we had a membership, uh, annual membership meeting, and someone kind of said, oh, Pastor Paul doesn't have a you know, decent a salary increase every year. You don't have to worry about that because I'm fully rewarded. I'm a fool. God gave me help. God gave me many of your prayers and support. And then I'm sharing God's word. Let me close. This 
rebuked the servant and said, you are hard man, and you take it out what you do not put in and reap what you do not sow. You know, I think our Lord Jesus is the opposite of what this man said. Our good Lord went to the cross and conquered the death and now made it possible for us to reap where we never saw. His death is for me. His resurrection is for me. He gave his Holy Spirit for me. God empowered me with his Holy Spirit. God endowed me with the gospel. I didn't make any of those. I'm reaping from what I didn't sow. But everything that Christ sowed, I'm reaping it. So who said he is a hard man? Dear brothers and sisters, this is the last Sunday of 2019. Whatever regret you have, give to God. Ask God's forgiveness and ask him that, Lord, give me a one more chance and help me to bear the fruit. Forest, beginning of the year, we had a call of an efficient crisis. Either we evangelize or we stop existing as an evangelical church. There is no such a thing as an evangelical Christian without evangelism. We are not just evangelical Christian, just in name alone. If we don't evangelize, if we don't share the gospel, we are not evangelical. I said before, Kirk Cameron once said, if you had a cure to cancer, wouldn't you share with everybody? We have something bigger than cure to cancer. We have a cure to death and sin. And Christ called us to share. Let us really, really share gospel. And let us really bear the fruit of his glory in 2020. Let's pray.